Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Donald, as usual. So, we took a little bit of a break last week. Don wasn't feeling well, but I think he's fully recovered now, or at least mostly recovered. Uh, we're going to check in and see how we've been doing the past couple weeks, and then answer some of your questions. So, how are you doing, Donald? Are you doing okay? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I had a cold for a bit. And, you know, like logically, you know, it's probably not Corona, but you just kind of, it's like somewhere in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, I had like a chest cold, so my lungs were, you know, all gunked up, whatever. And I was like, uh, that's not, you know, like that's, that's the only thing that is on the news is people with their lungs gunked up or whatever. So (laughs) it's like, okay, maybe I should uh, take this seriously. But yeah, I don't know. You know, I can't complain. I don't know. It was just a, it. It worked its way through, whatever, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's um, one of those things where yeah. it's like, you don't want to get it, but then once you're kind of doing okay, you you hope that that's what it is so that you can beat it and then yeah, you have yeah. like antibodies and stuff. So, kind of yeah, a weird yeah. situation. I feel bad for all the people that have like other serious illnesses right now. Yeah. That are like, uh, you know, they're, they're like cancer treatments are being postponed and stuff and they're like, you know, because they must feel like, I don't know. You know, not only are they sick, but they're not getting any recognition for it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they're not getting any, like, special help or whatever or, or like, deferment or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they're just, I don't know. Yeah. So Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation because, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're, like, dangerously ill, it doesn't really matter what specific disease it is. Like, that's just a life, you know. It's like, it doesn't... It, a life that's gonna that's threatened by one disease isn't more or less worth saving than another. Yeah. You know, it's a weird situation. I read something yeah. about I think it was maybe HIV or something like that. There was some sort of medicine or some kind of instruments that were being moved away from them and towards coronavirus stuff. And I don't know. I don't know how dangerous HIV is anymore, but. Uh, yeah, that just seems like a weird situation it, like to <laughs> to be like allocating <laughs> resources from one thing to another thing unless it's like yeah. actually going to be like a net good in some way. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard because it's like uh, obviously one of the sort of main moral things that the Catholic Church tends to hammer on a lot is uh, like culture of life stuff. So they, you know, stuff about you know, a, a lot of that is uh, the the pro life activism and stuff, but there's also like a lot of stuff where they get really, you know, they fight in the courts and stuff about euthanasia and all that. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a weird situation because it's it's dealing with things where there's like an absolute constraint. It's not like a it's not like a really like the main thing that the church tends to fight against is things where it's like just discretion whether or not let someone die kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. and in this case it's like an absolute constraint because it's like if we don't take that one thing from one person you know if we don't take the ventilator from one person then we got to help you know then the other person will die kind of thing it's not like it's more like the overall situation that created that tension whatever but uh so i feel like uh it's hard because I think there's a lot of people that have that impulse right away. They're like, oh man, we can't just let people die. But then at the same time, it's like, it, it's it's an absolute constraint for some people. Someone has to make that decision at the end of the day anyway. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the horrible thing about like Italy is that they've been having to 
make those kind of determinations like if you're older than a certain age and i think the age limit kept dropping over over the days and weeks like they were just cutting people off from medical care because it just was like a you know it's a numbers game it's just about probabilities at a certain point like you have a scarcity of resources and you want to make sure you you help as many people as possible so certain people it it just ends up being better to to save one over the other just because of the chances of survival and stuff like that pretty pretty grim stuff <laughs> yeah yeah um so i don't know yeah i don't know i i heard that uh i guess this study came out of the gates foundation and i don't know how much to trust them or, or not my inclination is just to take it at face value but you know you never know but uh the, yeah. you know they were saying that it, it seems like the the peak is going to be below the limit of our capacity of our healthcare systems in most places so that's that's good i guess so we're not going to see yeah. like an italy style situation if things bear out the way that those reports say Though I've also seen that that's like the only report that is saying that and that there are other reports that are still saying it's going to be worse than that. So I don't know. The study was done at University of Washington. So I'm just like, <laughs> you know, out of loyalty. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> okay. they probably know what they're doing over there. They do have like a top notch um, medical research and, and hospital system at the university there. So I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I just, uh Yeah. How is quarantine going for you? You're handling it okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm, I could do this all all the time. <laughs> I really <laughs> I know, have I no issues with this. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, yesterday, I actually, I, I had a moment where I was very depressed, and the reason why was because I thought to myself, I could do this another year easy. Like not even like I was like this would be so easy to do for like any other year there'd be no problem for me i'd just keep doing it who cares kind of thing right <laughs> and then i thought about that and i was like that's kind of sad in some ways <laughs> i don't know that's like that i could that i was mentally like fine with it <laughs> i was like i was like that's kind of i don't know that's not you shouldn't think like that <laughs> i don't know but then i was like well whatever that's just that's like yeah i feel <laughs> it, that kind of takes me back to this idea that i've had since i was like a teenager or something and it's like such a stupid idea but some part of me sort of thinks of that it's there's some truth to it is that i think i would be a very good prisoner like that i I would i would get along just fine in prison like as far as the yeah living in a cell someone brings you a tray of food or you go to the cafeteria or whatever it is you know that kind of situation yeah yeah. that doesn't seem too bad you don't have to get a job or anything you know it seems cool um obviously there's other parts of it but yeah yeah I would probably be a very good, well, so I would, I don't know if I would actually be a good monk. I'd be like a good monk that was like, uh, you know, I'd be good at like being a monk that was sort of, uh, on the outs with the church or something. And they just had to like stay in like a monkish prison or something like that kind of thing. <laughs> Cause I wouldn't be able to do the, the prayers every day, like all day long or whatever. That would be, that would be too much work for me, <laughs> but like the, the act- and then you have to like, you know, clean things and do all the manual labor. But like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I would like rise to the occasion or something and just be really good at like sweeping and praying and chanting and stuff all day. And then, yeah. So similar. You could thing. be one of those guys that transcribes the books, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. They used yeah. to have people that would just take a book and then like copy out a sure. book, you know? 
that yeah. seems that seems like a good job for you. <laughs> I, yeah, whenever I read about like Sufi orders that they sort of functioned as guilds, like they had a certain craft and they would just kind of have like they would work with leather or you know, whatever they would do, they would have something like that and then they would just do like sort of monastic style stuff, you know, they would live communally and uh you know, a lot of their day was devoted to worship of, of various kinds, you know, all that kind of thing. Just, that seems like a pretty nice life, you know. That seems pretty decent. Yeah, it's not totally cloistered yeah. and everything. You still you go to the market. You're selling your stuff. You're you have a craft that you're practicing. You meet with people. You kind of you are in contact with the the real world, so to speak. But you also have your own thing going on, which I don't know. Seems like a nice mix. Uh, today we we're gonna do some questions here. There's the first question is sort of related, so I thought maybe. Uh, I'll just dive into that. Uh, sure. It says, Tom, do you have any favorite Islamic poetry? So I'm imagining you in one of those orders or something and then just sitting there writing poetry <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I kind of have like a superficial knowledge of Islamic poetry, so I don't really have like any deep cuts or anything to share. Um I think Rumi's really good, but you need to get a good translation. And a lot of the English translations are very editorialized, I guess you could say. Like they, you know, when when I say Rumi, you probably think of like new agey kind of hippie kind of stuff. And that's because of yeah. the way they've been translated. They really specifically tried to remove Islam specific things from it. So like stuff about God, stuff about the prophet. They only translated ones that kind of they could universalize and, and kind of portray things a certain way and stuff. And uh, that's, yeah, I, that is kind of annoying. But, um, yeah, he's very good, and he has, like, a interesting style and stuff. Like, some of them are almost more like stories and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I you know, Hafez... Um, yeah, not not a lot of names coming to me right now, to be honest. Um, there is a writer that I do really like who... They're not poems, they're aphorisms. And, I mean, this is also, like, a very obvious one for anyone who kind of knows their, like, Islamic text. But um, Ibn Atayilah wrote the Hikam, or uh, the Book of Wisdoms, I think it's translated into in English. And... Yeah, it's it's aphorisms, right? So they're just like really short, like one-liners kind of a thing. And I, I like those, the the books organized by chapters. I think I've actually read from it on one of our Patreon episodes before. And uh, it, it, it's great. Like, it's it's just amazing. Like, uh, I, the reason I'm kind of thinking of this in terms of poetry is just because of the conciseness of the language and the density of, and, sure. of everything yeah. in them. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I kind of, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, especially interesting, I guess, but I just like the standards, you know. I bought the, um, Rumi one. I think it's about the Council of Burrs, or what was it called? Oh, well, that's not Rumi. That is, uh, oh, no. I'm blanking on it, but uh, another Persian poet, yeah. No, it's, okay, Uh, Atar. Atar, I got, I got something, Atar. I got, I got, anyways, one of the, what's one of Rumi's like big ones? I don't know. The Mevlevi like the, is the big one. 
what's that translate as? I'm not sure if that you know gets where? translated as anything else. To oh, honest. okay. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, I had one of them. Maybe it's just a selected poems from Penguin. It's like a recent edition. Yeah. It's like, are those the ones that you would well, warn against? I, the, like there the, are better translations coming out. I just haven't done like a specific, I haven't looked into it sure, too sure, closely. Yeah. I know yeah, yeah, that yeah. Coleman Barks is a fairly controversial translator that is, I think, still active and doing stuff and anything from like the nineties or earlier you want to be careful about. And, and uh, I don't know, you can, you can find good translations if you, uh, you know, if you just stay away from like picking up the first thing you find at a bookstore, you know, that kind of thing you want to just do sure. a little bit of yeah. research. Yeah. I guess with Rumi and most of those that there's probably a lot of uh, cheap editions out that don't really like, you know what I mean? Like the, uh, store brand ones and yeah stuff that, yeah and know, i mean so to I be know. honest it's it's not like they're bad or anything it's just that they're sure. they, they're yeah. not capturing what he was really writing about so you're missing a big sure. dimension of it now if you're not interested in the religious aspect and you just think that they're nice poems or whatever that's fine i guess but i i, I don't know i feel like it being a Muslim, it's kind of annoying to see like Islamic poetry that has the Islam ripped out. And then like, if I'm trying to read, you know, if I'm looking for that and it's just like specifically removed, that's, that's kind of obnoxious to me. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's uh it, there was actually a, it's funny. There's a similar sort of, not similar, but a, a parallel sort of issue with, uh, um, there was like a group called the Jesus Seminar. Have you ever heard of mm-hmm. this? Or I think I mentioned it once, but um, it was a group that tried to look historically and say what are the things that we could attribute to Jesus as sayings uh, for certainly that we don't think were like editorial editions oh, later. Like Christian you know? Hadith science kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... But in sort of a backwards way, at where like the like the the hadith to me always the, my my sort of uh, layman's thing was that it's it's like almost an extension, right? Like it's like additional material that helps clarify things, right? Like that's part um, of it, or yeah, I mean, I, it's it's different. It's not it's not it's, okay. The Quran is its own text. It's a complete text, and it stands alone. It that's God's word. The Hadith is reports about the Prophet, things he said, things he did. And yes, they're, they're, that's supposed to help clarify what the commands are, how they're implemented. You know, that's like an example. Uh, so th- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's an extension, but it's, it is like a, the idea of it being like a, almost a commentary on the Quran is there's some truth to that. Sure. So the, the Jesus Seminar uh, was, um, so it's, it's, it's it's almost like, well, you know, in in a respectful way to say it, but it'd be like if the hadith, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's it's as if they were stripping away parts of the Quran or something because it's it's uh, the way that they're they're doing it is that they only they come up with basically like a few dozen sayings mm-hmm. that they attribute to Jesus and they say these are the ones that are probably actually true. Okay, and you know, it's like stuff like. Uh, so it's kind of yeah, it's it's almost like the reverse of the process of the hadith, where they just are eliminating large parts of the religion, and it's uh, anyways the the yeah anyways it's 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 funny because it's 
that is it's that is still within the sort of range of religion because the people that are doing it are generally they're still religious in some respects um they still like believe in god and stuff um but it, it tends to be like within the aryan sort of mm. uh you know fold like not not explicitly like they would you know i don't know if that's what they would they wouldn't self-describe but like it's that sort of idea of uh jesus as you know friendly guy that you know desert prophet kind of thing yeah i I get what you're saying not religious yeah Yeah. so i always uh i used to it's funny because that was probably my first um it worked backwards for me kind of in a way where i was reading that kind of thing before i took it seriously like as an atheist i was reading that kind of thing because i thought still a compelling story kind Mm -hmm. of thing but um so i guess it you know maybe in some ways it's good to at least have that out there you know maybe it's the same thing with the islamic poetry kind of thing where you read this kind of thing and then you go wait a minute there's more to this and yeah keep down that road yeah or something. i agree I don't know. you know that so. that was a similar thing for me i uh, when i first converted it was helpful to have this sort of like middle ground transitional material sort of stuff that was trying to you know, it was clearly, in retrospect, written by people who were trying to hold on to an identity tied to Islam, but were very embedded in, like, a Western kind of cultural thing. And, you know, they they were just had, like, mixed loyalties and were trying to synthesize the two and stuff like that. But that was helpful for me as a convert to kind of, um, as I was coming to understand what the this religion was about and how it worked and you know what are the authorities that i should look to and all that kind of stuff it was helpful to have a way of doing that with that wasn't like super jarring and especially given the fact that i didn't have like a community around me or anything like i I just kind of converted on my own it was uh you know it's a it's a process it's a gradual thing especially in that converting in that way so yeah it, it i think it's a positive thing, even though I, I think it's also necessary to kind of like maintain a, a vocal critique of these kinds of things. Um, I, I feel the sure. same way about yeah. like uh, uh, perennialism, you know, that that worked the same way for me where it was kind of like, it, it's a way to come to understand like how to think about things in a religious way, which was something pretty new to me. And I sort of had to ease my way into it. It wasn't like a, it wasn't obvious to me, you know. Um, so there, there's a bit of like a transitional phase that that um, that's useful for. Yeah, I had a similar thing with uh, sort of similar uh, perennialist sort of things where I I couldn't accept that like the plurality of religions proved to me at some level that religion wasn't true. Like that was just a basic thing because I thought like you know God couldn't speak to people in all these different ways. Uh, and then have that specific religion still be true kind of thing. And uh, I think part of what it's helped with that is the understanding that, you know, I don't even know how to say it, but that there's this deeper, I don't know if it's intuition or something like that, but there's there's like a deeper sort of natural knowledge or something that people have that uh, doesn't necessarily have to be put into a specific religious thing. I, th- I mean, I do, I do think it does necessarily in the sense that in a religious sense, I think it has to be necessarily like if you follow it all the way, you have to go down a religious path. Right. But, yeah. 
you know, I think there's, there's, uh, I do think there's just basic things like people that were living in North America before Christian contact or whatever, you know, it's like they were not bad people or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like stuff like so that. So I'm curious. I, I, I'm not sure if I've talked about this before, but, uh, so in Islam, there's a concept called the fitra. And I, I have I talked to you about this before? I don't think so. Okay. No. So the fitra is like the, the basic human instinct or like the in, intuition is another way it's sometimes translated. Uh, it's, it's like the, it's, it's how human beings are created, right? It's like their basic default. And there's an idea of the people of Fitra and, and this is all in the Quran. So this is all like fairly like it's not some elaborated later doctrine that's you know kind of derived from certain things or or whatever this is like pretty pretty much in the in the basic foundational text and stuff um that there are there is you know the abrahamic like line that is the true religion right like there's the one god there's a line of prophets but there have also been prophets that were sent to every community of people and some prophets only had like two people that followed them and some people had entire nations and stuff and we're not even sure there's a hadith that talks about over a hundred thousand prophets have been sent to mankind and so people in other places like you're talking about north america and all this kind of stuff that they have had prophets that have taught them how to do things and that they had their own laws and their own things like that, just like how before Muhammad there was a line of prophets and they had a different law. You know, it wasn't exactly the same as the the, the standing Sharia. You know, they had their own Sharia that was for their specific community. And so Muhammad comes as the last prophet for all people. So it's at that point, there's no more attempt to like divide people into community, like there are communities, right? There are in, like different communities, but in a religious sense, it's now supposed to be everyone gets in the same boat kind of a thing. And and that Sharia is meant for everybody and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's there's just always been this idea that people in different places, it's not so much about if they aren't already somehow following Islam without having ever heard of it before, then they're damned. You know, it's it's more like, if they're on the fitra, if they're following their innate kind of sense of morality and ethics and whatever their culture has sort of taught them is, is like a ethical lifestyle and all that kind of stuff, that's probably in some way derived from previous prophets. And so there's some good in it and, or maybe lots of good in it. And that that is, you know, that they will be judged according to those kinds of things now that doesn't mean that you are not trying to convert them and teach them about islam and all that kind of stuff because as i said like muhammad comes as the last prophet so the religion is also intended for these people as well but uh at the same time it's not so much of like a it's not like they they need to be their culture and their religion needs to be wiped out it's more like it's 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 like this Borg assimilation kind of a thing. Like it can all kind of be united in, in this um, 
one umbrella of uh, of tawhid of unity right of unity of god and unity mm-hmm. of people and everything like that so i was just wondering how does that compare to your understanding of like um i don't know if the church has specific teachings on this kind of stuff or if there's sort of like a debate or or what the situation is but how does it compare so so uh a lot of this is changed because it's not it, there. I mean, there's like a sense of the line of prophets and things like that. But uh, the the issue is that a lot of these everything changes with the divinity of Christ. Like that's the that's like the pivot. So uh, it's different in the sense that. Um, so what happened was like the people of Israel had prophets, you know, sent by God that were basically like had a special relationship with God that were he was kind of uh you know leading them towards a, a certain kind of or like interacting with them towards a certain kind of purpose and that sort of culminates in Jesus and then Jesus then sort of transforms the situation with a new covenant that is universal so it mm-hmm. just it every and so the people who were like we would call Jewish like before that they were judged you know or like their relationship with God was like their their own covenant with God that was through their prophets okay um the the people outside of that like gentiles they were uh expected to behave according to the natural response of like they had a, like an intuition of morality and uh, it's not like, you know, the, the things that, like the laws that were given to uh, the Jewish people, like the, the sort of legalistic things, those were still sort of binding on other people. It's just that the, it was made explicit in this sort of prophecy and and uh, thing. And it, there's a weird kind of uh, retrospective, like retroactive kind of thing where that like moral moral sense that people had. So the ideological structure of the um, religion, like the the sort of natural, like the ideas of morality, uh, that ended up sort of revealing itself to be the influence of Christ and stuff and like God's direct work mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and so that's a bit different than, it's a bit different in the sense that because it's it's not just like that, the prophets had ideas that were being transmitted by God and kind of reflecting their good behavior and things like that. It was also like an actual, like it's also the truth of the event kind of thing is built into the life of Christ and stuff. So that's, that's the, I think that would be the main difference is that like, that's like a, yeah, um, kind of like so, the broader so, anyway. narrative around it is, is different obviously. I, but yeah, that's, that's obviously yeah. important. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Everything gets united in the person mm-hmm. of Christ, who is like individual Christians participate in his ministry. So they, it's like united as like the, you know the body of Christ. They call it so like everyone participates in that ministry. So therefore, um, once you have knowledge of it, you have, it's it's very it's it's interesting because there's a difference between ignorance at the level of. Uh, so anyways, th- this is the, the key thing about this though, is that that's interesting. I just read a book about this, um, about like, uh, in r- response to, uh, confession and just ideas around how you give up 
you know, like, uh, uh, come to terms with sin and that. And what they were saying is that like, um, uh, you're only really judged on your knowledge that you're, what you're doing is wrong kind of thing. Mostly like that's like the main thing. So people who don't have the full message can't really be judged in the same way that someone that like knows everything about yeah. it backwards and forwards. That, that's you know? interesting. So, that yeah. that reminds me of something I think Al Ghazali said about that 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 works for good deeds as well. Like if you're not aware of something being, if you're doing something like with bad intentions or just like un you know kind of mindlessly, you won't be rewarded. Even like for example, drinking a glass of water is considered a good deed that you will be rewarded for if you do it with kind of a mindfulness like if you do it with gratitude to god for the water if you're doing it with a a sense of like i'm you know drinking water because my body needs water i was given this body it's a gift all you know all that kind of stuff if you do that you say bismillah before you drink all that kind of thing then you're rewarded for that it you know, to whatever extent that's worth. Obviously, it's a pretty minor thing, but it, you know, th- those things add up, I guess. Uh, but if you just are yeah. drinking water just mindlessly, you know, like most of us do all the time, then that's not going to count necessarily. So there's there's a intentionality yeah. is is a really big thing in when it comes to judgment in Islam. So uh, yeah, th- I don't know. That's just interesting. Just kind of rung a bell for me there. Yeah, that that book, the Desert Fathers, uh, the collection that I bring up a lot is that's what the book is basically about. Is is throughout is intentionality because it's like a lot of the little stories and stuff come down to people approaching very similar things in completely different ways, and it's still having a positive moral tale kind of thing. So, um, uh. It just and a lot of it is uh, it comes down to like arrogance and stuff, right? Like trying to avoid being humble and stuff. Right. That's like the tends to be the the moral, and it's hard because humility is always contextual, right? So it's like uh, it it also has like it's so contextual that something that would be you know um, like doing the necessary thing without taking uh, special credit and stuff can mean a lot of different things depending on what's happening so sometimes you have to be decisive and sometimes you have to like defer and stuff and anyway so that's i think that's interesting it's 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 good because it's a it's i don't know it's like i think that's it's funny because you know a lot of moral things end up becoming these rules that uh don't reflect people's actual lives i think a lot of the time like when they get talked about popularly and um yeah. So Yeah, I, I think it's really yeah. important to understand these things whether you're trying to understand like re- you know, thinking in a religious way, like the religious view on the world because we're not really I mean, some people are, but I know for myself I was I was brought up completely a religious and I think a lot of people it's a very minor or auxiliary part of the way they think about things and um when you center it it really you you need to center that kind of stuff you know you need to really think about those sorts of aspects first and start from there when you start to think about like specific moral teachings and ethical teachings and stuff like that uh, or else you get into 
very weird territory. And, um, yeah, I, I think it helps to, it, it just helps with like negotiating that kind of difference, you know, when, when the kind of broader public is secularized and there's either a lack of religious, you know, background to it, or just a mix of different religions such that you kind of have to work in this sort of like lowest common denominator stuff, which is great. Like that's fine, but, uh, it helps to have an understanding of like intention it comes first and then your action should be based on that as well as, you know, the specific teachings then inform you from there. But you need to no- start sure. with like, what's my intention here? And is the, is this action going to get to that place that, that I'm shooting for? Right. Like, am I going to, yeah, yeah. You know, like, especially with like a lot of stuff in, in Sharia, it can be, come across as like very weird or off putting or rude or whatever in a Western context. So, all the all that stuff has to be taken into account when you're interacting with people and all that kind of thing and also when you're judging other people's actions like you know it would be ridiculous if i was walking around and like saw someone eating a bacon sandwich or whatever and you know saw like a, a liquor store and you know all this kind of stuff like and just like was like freaking out about yeah. like oh my god what an immoral world or whatever but it's if yeah, they're yeah. not muslim it's not immoral in that sense for for them to be doing that like because they're in they're, they just aren't abiding by the same guideline so you know and that has always made sense to me but i'm glad that that's like there in the tradition it's not something i have to kind of like you know do my own thinking on that it's actually like a confirmed verifiable like basis for the the whole sure. tradition yeah know? yeah i feel the same way about this idea that like people that are sort of ignorant uh, of the religion in its sort of specifics are still familiar with it in some intuitive or uh, moral way or something. I think that's good to know in some ways because that is not the way that it gets portrayed on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like, like, or like, you know, the evangelical movement in the United States and stuff is, it's quite the opposite a lot of the time. It's, you know, like this idea that uh, if you are doing something they don't like, then, by necessarily it's like you're the you know you're being as evil as possible or something yeah i mean and i think this kind of thinking is useful for non-religious thinking or worldviews as well and i think that that's lacking as as well like you see people who have their own sort of like political ideologies or their own kind of like cultural ideologies or whatever and they aren't understanding that, that there's you know, you have to judge people according to their intentions, according to, the, you know, they have a way of understanding things and it's going to be different from yours in some way. And sometimes it's going to be very different and that you can't just kind of take your structure of, of ethics and just impose it on other people and, and see, not like physically impose it, but I mean like in terms of judging them, like look at their behavior according to your ethical structures and just kind of be like okay well wrong 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 so therefore this person is evil this this person you know we need to keep him out of the country or whatever that kind of stuff uh sure yeah yeah i I mean i I see that on the left the right the center everywhere so um yeah i mean that that's a and it's difficult to do that you know um i think if you probably shouldn't be running around judging other people in the first place but like if you're going to do it you need to kind of have a little bit of nuance and and whatnot about it 
Anyway, mm-hmm. should we go on to question number two? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Um, okay, so this one's for me. It says, Don, what's the deal with the NDP? Any Bernie or Corbin energy coming from them? So the short answer is no. The The NDP is our social democratic party in Canada. Um, it mostly operates... Well, actually, I was going to say it mostly operates in English Canada, but that's not true. They do have some presence in Quebec. They had a big one recently, but then it kind of fell away. Um, so... Uh, the NDP for uh, non-Canadians, it's it's sort of like, I would say, almost halfway between the Labour Party and the Democratic Party of the United States. So the it is officially a Labour Party, like the unions are officially members of it, but it is uh, not, uh, that was like a long process that sort of came about in the 60s mostly, and before that, just before that, like it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a Labour Party in the sense that... Uh, in the traditional sense, like our socialist movement tended to be more prairie populists and intellectuals and things like that. It was not uh, the same sort of industrial movement across the whole country as it was in other countries. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, that's the the problem is that um, so because of that, too, uh, we don't have Cor- a Corbin in the sense that we don't have a sort of traditional left wing fringe of the NDP that you know, sits in parliament and sort of hammers on the good fight or whatever, you know, kind of thing. They, that doesn't really exist in Canada. We do have a few people that tend to be okay, but that sort of broad left fringe that sort of perennially fights in leadership elections and stuff, uh, it, not really there. And then the other side of it is that uh, we do have a bit more of a tradition of social democratic protest, though, than the United States in the sense that uh, I think a lot of NDP staffers and people like that, like the sort of NDP activist types, a lot of them like Bernie, I think, and are like pro-Bernie in general. A lot of the like elected people, I think they like the idea of someone like Bernie or Corbyn even. But I think a lot of it at the higher levels is totally superficial. Like it has no relationship to... Like, they think of themselves as being, I think, a protest movement that, you know, actually is, uh, you know, affecting change and stuff. But in reality, it never, as soon as they get into power, it just has no relationship to its past protest kind of stuff, really. I think they, I do think they are like the lesser evil in Canada, like the, the major parties, like they're fine, like compared to them. But that is such a low bar that it's like, you know, it'd be nice if they, either they or another left party emerged. But at this point, the problem is that, like, the only left alternatives that uh, even exist on paper are, like, the Communist Party and stuff. Um, so there's no reason to, I mean, outside Quebec. Quebec has its own sort of uh, left social democratic party called Quebec Solidaire, which is a bit better. But it's it's one of those things where it's so easy to just list all the reasons why the NDP sucks. Like, that's just, like, a really, there's so many things. Like, like say, in Alberta, they ended up, coming to power in a surprise election um like a surprise win and uh in some respects and then uh just totally became an extension of the oil industry even though the oil industry hated them so it just uh and then they collapsed in the next election and you know there wasn't much gain from any of that and uh you know they're not it's like one of those things where it's like in the united states and you know if the, the governor's a Democrat. That's better than if it's a Republican a lot of the time. 
but it's such a low bar that it's like, you know, I wouldn't want to spend much time on it kind of thing. So, yeah. I have a question Anyways, about Canadian yeah. left stuff that I, I don't, you probably don't want to get too deep into this, but I, I was just curious about Tommy Douglas. That's the healthcare system guy, right? Yeah. So he, uh, what his, oh, sorry, what was the, is that well, the my, question? My question was the, just like, yeah. if there was no left for him to come from, where where did he come from like was he sort of from this like ndp style faction of things or did he come from some kind of left field sort of thing or what what was his background politically yeah so the there's a party that was called the cooperative commonwealth federation um before the ndp was founded and so they were around in like the 30s and 40s and 50s and their whole thing was sort of democratic socialism it, they started off pretty radical but they were still like they were to the right of the end of the communists like they were always in uh critical of the communists and sort of you know um but they were pretty solid democratic socialist party um but uh in the west they were uh uh mostly really uh connected to like so T- tommy douglas and like people like him are like Christian preacher types. Oh, I didn't know that. And yeah, and uh, they were very connected to like rural people and farmers and stuff, right? So uh, it, you know, a lot of the, because Canada used to be obviously similar to the United States in this, that mostly agricultural resource kind of stuff. um, And sort of that lingered on later in most of the country. Uh, Yeah, so it would be people that it was not like, there were, you know, major cities, you know, relatively for where there was like, you know, industrial worker kind of faction kind of things. But, uh, so he was, he was from Saskatchewan, which is mostly, it's, it's like basically known for like wheat, right? Like that's like, it's kind of, anyways, it's like a, it's like a farmer, uh, province. And now it's like resources and that too. But so what he did is he came to power, um, uh, in Saskatchewan as like the leader of Saskatchewan and his platform part of it was breaking the doctors unions and stuff like you know like becoming like building a hospital insurance system which covered everyone and uh, that required the doctors to um, basically agree to become enter into a relationship with the government instead of just being small time practitioners kind of thing i mean they still theoretically are but you know it was it was towards the it wasn't like a full nhs but it was sort of like that kind of thing towards that model and he kind of stared them down and proved that you could do it like that was it's sort of like the united states where there was like a lesson that people take that from all the healthcare stuff is that anytime that they you go up against them and try to build a real insurance system they'll just completely destroy you politically right like that's mm. the that's the sense like people like obama you know didn't even put in a public option for health insurance in his plan because he thought that they would just completely you know and and made a lot of concessions towards their profitability and stuff and that was uh that was sort of the lesson that united states had learned but in canada that was like a huge uh, event because it proved that number one there was popular support for that and then number two there was a method to sort of push it through and 
it took decades for Canada's healthcare system to sort of become what it looks like now, but that was a sort of watershed moment. Anyways, and then he uh, he moved to the sort of national stage and became leader of the CCF, like federally, and sort of built this new movement that tried to unite sort of new left people that were leaving the communist movement and, um, uh, you know, labor organizers and stuff and to create the NDP. And he never, uh, like, he he never won a federal election. Like, they, the NDP never got to that point where, like, the, the most seats the NDP has ever won was in 2011 um, when they became the opposition. And that sort of, uh, yeah, so... It was. It's always been really. There's been a few times when they've sort of supported federal governments, um, very rarely, and generally they just have been sort of a. It's it's been at the provincial level where they've been had done most of their work, and even there it's like you know there's a lot of provinces where they they're in power for like ten years, not much actually changes, and they actually like end up, sort of, gaining the hatred of a lot of the left. Mm. So. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's annoying because it's like, there's so many things that they could be doing that would be positive. And, uh, you know, like one time the leader of the Ontario NDP here, one of her election campaigns once had almost nothing about poverty, like a very little plan towards addressing poverty in Ontario. And it had like stuff in it, like we're going to cut taxes on gasoline and stuff, just totally tone deaf or like, you know, taxes on uh, you know, electricity or something like that, like stuff that is like counterproductive for environmental reasons, expensive, and doesn't actually help the people that should be they should be helping, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like I don't know stuff like that. So, all right. Um, the next question is: As Chomsky fans, what is your interpretation of the charge that he was wrong on the wrong side of the Cambodian genocide? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was sort of like skeptical of the claims that were coming out about the Khmer Rouge. Is that right? Yeah. He was like, I think it was almost like one of those things where he said, I think someone came up with a, like a big number of people that died or something. And he's like, do we actually have evidence for that or something like that? He like wrote like a preface to a book that was skeptical of it or something like that. And uh, it's, yeah. Anyway. Well, I don't know. I guess it's like a tradition at this point for the left to be, like genocide, <laughs> you know, not not exactly denialist, but like just asking questions, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I I always, I don't know. I I feel like anytime that you're listening to other people give information, it's just like a stream of stuff that mostly you're gonna either sort of accept, but not really know where to put it into your own framework yet. Or you're going to reject outright and you just kind of move on. I don't know why. Like, it's like, are you going to like live with Chomsky and then talk about this all the time or something? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what's the, I don't know. It's a strange thing to me where people, like, I don't know what they want me to do with that information if they think that he was actually like pro Paul Pot or something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, what's the, you just kind of go, okay, well. Like maybe if he was like running for president, that would be something you might want to think about that he sometimes like, but yeah, even then it's like, is Chomsky the person that is 
credulous about state crimes or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's like what, it's like what are your what is the goal here? There's another one that he did. Like he uh, um, in the Afghan war um, when it first was like starting up. Uh, I think it was the United Nations World Food Program or something said that uh, hundreds of thousands of people could die from hunger. Um, and he was kind of promoting that a lot, being like what Bush is doing is like knowingly causing a genocide basically by because there's a risk that the hunger will um, kill like large numbers of people and stuff. And people are kind of they use that as a thing being like, well, he ended up wrong on that mostly. So therefore, he was like a scaremonger kind of thing, and he and it's funny because it's like scaremonger yeah, about the Iraq wh- War. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, 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 about if Afghan or Afghan yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't. I like what's the what's the goal there? I don't know. It's it's funny because there's so many people that I disagree with on things, and. Sometimes it makes me really mad when, like, if I trust them and and I agree with them on a lot of other stuff, I can get, like, overly angry about it. I can accept that, but I feel like uh, that's, like, my problem. (laughs) I don't know. It's, like, not, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I should just be able to read something that someone says and move on kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, just on the specific Cambodia thing, I think it's his response... Back then, information was not as easy to access as it is today, so it yeah. is more reasonable in that light to kind of consider, like, it's perfectly reasonable to kind of wait and see kind of a thing. Plus, it's not like he had any actions he could have taken at that moment that would, you know, he, he, there wasn't anything depending on him taking decisive action about things, you know, like if he had come out pro or con or whatever, it, it wouldn't really change anything so for him to just kind of be like well i don't know what's the source on this fine whatever you know it's easy to look back now and and do that kind of stuff but like you see how people like you know earlier this year we were all freaking out about going to war with iran for like the 17th time in in the last few years or whatever so you know it's it's uh it's he's I don't know. It's a reasonable thing to kind of like wait and see on stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think today that he would have any kind of denialist sort of opinions about Cambodia or anything. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this next uh, question is for both of us. Do you ever find it hard to reconcile your religion with your fuck the mods point of view? Huh, um, there's a... there's parts of islam that kind of work very well with that the idea that like all sovereignty belongs to god that you know that every other person is just a human being and that they are you know that they're supposed to be serving god and not kind of just you know exercising whatever authority they've been given in in whatever manner they choose all that kind of stuff um there's also sort of a like if i want to be you can kind of go like that Islamist sort of like kind of route of, of like uh, Islamist in the sense of like the Al Qaeda, like Salafi Takfiri kind of thing where like everyone else is a idol worshiper and all that kind of stuff. And so like that kind of can work in that. I mean, I don't really go for all that kind of take on stuff, but 
that kind of works. Like there's definitely a lot of people on Twitter that have like very strong Islamist or pro-Islam kind of views on things. And then they're also like, they kind of have like, like alt-right nationalist side, kind of like meme humor, you know? So that yeah. kind of can work. Um, but obviously then there's also like in a more genuine sense, like there's a lot of stuff about like, you need to like observe the rules of whatever communities you're a part of and you should be like someone that people can come to and know that they're safe and that you're you're you don't hurt other people's feelings and all that kind of stuff so i don't know i kind of think of it like it's not the mods who i need to be worried about like they are probably in the wrong on most of these kind of issues where i would have conflicts with them but it that doesn't mean that i'm also right in you know, even if they're wrong, I could be wrong too, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's the Christian faith kind of goes very strongly a lot of the time towards the idea that if people are criticizing you and trying to tear you down and because of your religion, um, then that's proof that you're right kind of thing. <laughs> like that's like, cause like you're being tested and kind of being like, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the things it's, it's very, uh, it can end up dangerous because it's like, you know, I mean, it can be end up dangerous if it's not true at some level, but like it's, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, uh, Jesus was canceled and stuff like that. So like, <laughs> it's like, uh, stuff like that. And I think that that's, yeah, I think, I think that's true. But then there's always obviously been the sort of imperial religious side of things where the, you know, well you know a good order of society and all that and obviously for a lot of european history the church had a very direct role in managing things and uh that's it's i don't know i i mean obviously personally i tend towards the you know fringe outsider sort of uh thinking on that like of being like it's better to it's better to be you know people call it like a poor church or something like that yeah like it's better to at least theoretically, like it's not like you don't need to have the architecture of like, uh, uh, you know, at some level success in this world is not necessarily a sign that things have worked out right kind of thing, you know, like this, it's, it's a lot of the times you sort of know what's right in your heart and a lot of other people are telling you you're an idiot kind of thing, you know, like it's, it's not necessarily the fact that one falls from the other. So, which is funny because there is obviously a large trend in both evangelical Christianity and then I think it leaks over into a lot of other things where success is proof of God's uh, beneficence or whatever, you know, like it's like it's like prosperity gospel stuff where like if you're rich, it's because God wants you to be rich kind of thing, you know, like, and that's not, I don't know if that's healthy, yeah, so. Yeah, no, I, I kind of get that. I think I have a sort of like personally ingrained sense of that kind of martyrdom thing that you're talking about of yeah, yeah. like uh i think like i have this contrarian impulse where if i start to see a lot of people are kind of like saying something and it's not exactly on point with all the kind of nuance that i would want that kind of idea to be articulated with i'll just go kind of hard against it you know sure uh, yeah I, I think that that sort of ha i get that feeling of like when people are tell me i'm wrong or i'm dumb or whatever that then I'm like, yeah, see, like I'm right. I, I kind of get that feeling. And, um, that, that doesn't come from a religious sense 
or anything really for me it's just like kind of my own <laughs> personal <laughs> like psychology yeah but yeah um so the next question uh what's the deal with the world bank why does the left wing hate it so much yeah it's funny this used to be like 20 years ago this was like the most central question on left wing kind of mm-hmm. stuff and it, i think part of it was because in the 90s uh you know you had this you know new world order stuff kind of thing like the emergence of these recognition of the power and the results and the emergence of these giant international institutions it's kind of funny because i mean people like bernie sanders were you know involved in that i guess in different ways like in being critical of it but the american left doesn't really talk about these kind of things as much as they used to like it does not really you know they talk more about like war and peace kind of stuff and like uh if 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 at all at the international level and then not as much about like I don't find that you don't have, and then maybe climate change, but like stuff like uh, the World Bank and IMF and stuff have kind of fallen out of um, the view as compared to stuff like Medicare for All or whatever. Um, and yeah, anyways, the the point being is that what the World Bank and IMF and stuff would do is uh, countries would be heavily indebted for some sort of project or something or whatever. And uh the World Bank and the IMF would work together to uh, create programs for them to correct their finances over time was the theory. And those would be the worst. It would be like, it was the equivalent of like the Bush people that did Iraq where like it was always like, you know, 20 year olds telling a government to be like, you know, like uh, you need to get rid of uh, food subsidies for the population because that you know you're you're distorting the market and yeah. all that kind of stuff so it was really a lot of the, a lot of the things that ended up happening in the United States like with welfare reform and all that were like field tested in other places like South Africa and uh and it's just yeah just like just gutting the programs and stuff so i'm actually surprised that i think part of the things that have changed is one is that you have like china involved in sort of like there's been a shift away from I think from the international leverage of that and also sort of uh, there's been alternatives that have been created like in in South America there's alternatives that they created for like a development bank and all those kind of things so there's been there was such a reaction against it I think that there was a um, shift but there was also an issue where the World Bank and other people like that became very, very heavily invested in public relations stuff. So they knew that these things were happening, all these protests and that. And so like the World Bank, I think their official motto is something like, uh, we dream of a world free of poverty or something. Like it's like, it's it's really become, uh, they're very careful about how they position everything now so that they don't get attacked. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's a, I feel like it's one of those things where it should be talked about a lot more of these kind of things. But um, I think it's also true that, you know, Bernie Sanders has proven and Corbyn to some extent has proven that you do have to talk about what relates to people's everyday expenses and experiences and stuff like not being able to afford medications or something rather than uh, sort of economic structure at a deep level or something or else people just won't 
respond to it in the same way but yeah 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 I, i've always thought of like world bank policies as being like if you hired an economic advisor and you were like in deep trouble like you were having trouble coming up with money for rent the next month or something the guy was like well look at this you got a fridge full of food why don't we set up a little stand outside you just sell all this stuff you know and, and then yeah use that to pay your rent um yeah i actually was thinking i wonder if like 9-11 had an effect on discourse to kind of shift things away from these uh, like international organizations and stuff and focus more on like what the u.s is doing as a nation state and then that kind of has rolled into this like now there's the left focus on things like bernie sanders and corbyn and all that kind of stuff where it's like what can we do at the electoral level for this country and it you know generally speaking nationalism has kind of had this resurgence and stuff and it, i don't know it's kind of an interesting idea to think about i haven't really thought about it too much just thought of it right now but yeah something to consider yeah that's in, yeah i see what you mean yeah yeah i think that for the first few years like of the 2000s it was still the case where there was still a lot of activist talk and protests around uh you know they would call it globalization mm-hmm. or something and uh, I think that still existed for, and then I think that really, yeah, you're right. That when when Iraq started going badly and they started looking like they might even extend it, uh, you know, like when stuff like, uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that it's also stuff like Israel ended up sort of taking part of that mental space where the Intifada and the... Um, Lebanon war and and then Gaza and stuff like I think that ended up being a focal point of international anger along with Iraq and stuff where uh, it was it got translated into security terms like in the left imagination and then yeah I mean and then uh, it just uh, and then I guess the world global financial crisis happened and people had you know their own concerns for even places in Europe like marginal Europe like Greece and stuff so yeah. Yep. Um, so the next question is, how does Tom feel about female genital mutilation, beheadings, stoning to death, and arranged marriages? So one of our perennial, I don't know if it's a troll Islam question, but or or uh, I'm going to be generous and say it's a troll Islam <laughs> okay. question. Yeah, I think those are all <laughs> wonderful things. I think we should report them to the U.S. Do, do us a lot of yeah. good. So let's go through the list yeah. real quick. So fen- uh, female genital mutilation is outlawed in three of the four schools. And in the one school that it's permitted, it is, um, it, it, it's actually pretty much in coherence with like what the, I forget which specific organization. It's one of the major health organizations in the world. There's a difference between the way that they circumcise people that is essentially just like a cosmetic thing and then the full-on FGM stuff, which is, just, well, you know, it's, it's, it is mutilation. It's exactly what that is. So I'm, I'm not trying to say it doesn't happen, but where, where it does happen, it happens, uh, it's practiced by non-Muslim and Muslim communities alike. So it's it's more of a regional cultural issue than it is a religion specific issue. So yeah, I don't think it's good. I'm f- totally fine with the Islamic take on it. Uh, what was the, what was the so, next thing? The next thing is uh, beheadings. Oh, that's fine. I got no problem with that. <laughs> I actually I have gotten 
angry about this kind of stuff now because it, like people talk about guillotining people a lot online and it, I don't know, ends up being tacky. And uh, so I've accused them of being eyes of supporters. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, stoning. Yeah, I mean, that seems pretty rough. Uh, I don't know if I could participate in something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of these types of things are supposed to happen so seldom that I, I am pretty sure that they've probably happened more in the past, like, 100, 200 years than they ever have, like, occurred before that time. The the, the sure. standards of evidence and all that kind of stuff were so high, and people were really reluctant to actually, like, come down and say, like, yeah, this actually has to happen, that when it did happen, it was you know, someone who was such a flagrant criminal or, or whatever, you know, that, or, or it was some, you know, the leader wasn't very good or whatever that as a concept, I don't have a problem with it, like in the broad historical view or whatever. And I don't think that capital punishment is necessarily beyond the pale given a government or whatever, some kind of polity that is governed justly in all other ways. I don't have a real issue with capital punishment being on the books and all that kind of stuff. So, um, stoning just seems kind of brutal though, to be honest. Like I, 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 and I think that the Sharia is, is, uh, accommodating to like, I don't want to use the term updating because that kind of implies a sort of teleological, teleology that I don't want to subscribe to, but a sense of like adapting punishments to the culture of the t the time and place. So like there were some polities that uh, pretty much did away with all the standard like Sharia punishments and all that kind of stuff and just implemented them in the form of fees. Um, one thing to, to take into consideration is that in Islam that prison is is not widely used it's considered cruel to like steal someone's time away from them so something like if someone is a thief and and i think i've talked about this before but people always use this example of like getting your hand cut off for stealing an apple and that's so weird to me because that is specifically the example used in islamic texts and in like by the example of the caliphs and stuff of when to not implement the hand chopping thing it's more like if someone's like embezzled like a big you know like a what was his name bernie madoff or you know something like that then that would be an instance where that may come into play where it's like okay yeah. you are a thief like at, you didn't steal an apple because you were poor and hungry that you would just be let free for that like that's a failure of the state to provide for you but if you're if yeah. you're like a thief on that level and that's where that kind of comes into play and I don't have a problem with that. And I think there's a, historically, there's a view that that is less, I don't know, I can't find the word for this, less, uh, the, 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 the just yeah. punishment for that is to remove the hand and then let him go free like that. Now everyone knows he's a thief and he has to live like that, you know. Uh, I, yeah. Someone brought this up on a podcast I was listening to. I think it was Mark Norman and Joe List, and they were talking about how you know Muslims have the left hand for wiping and the right hand is for the handshakes and stuff. But what if someone has their hand cut off? Now they got to <laughs> figure that out because yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah, the yeah. two hands to do things with. I thought that was pretty funny. And they were like, I wonder which hand they cut sure. off. And he was like, oh, you, it's got to be the, the left, you know? It's like, well, no, you got to have the, the wiper. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that stuff either. Um, I, I, 
don't I don't like the way that it's being implemented in like Saudi Arabia or whatever that kind of stuff. Like I think that that's a deeply corrupt state and that they don't care at all about kind of adhering to Islamic norms. They just like that they can kind of point to medieval legal texts and be like, yeah, we're going to do this because because God said so. So, yeah. The last one was uh, arranged marriages. Oh, yeah, that's also fine. I, I People make such a big deal out of that. Like, uh, I mean, there's a difference between arranged marriage and forced marriage, right? Like, if someone is forced into something, coerced into something, then, again, that's not permitted under Sharia. But if that is just, you know, a lot of cultures practice this kind of thing where you, like, arrange marriages. And I, I, I don't know. It's not for me, obviously. It's not for... Uh, you know, in the in Western culture, that's just not how we do things. So it's going to seem kind of alien to us and like something that wouldn't work for us. But that's okay for it to not work for us and for it to work for other people. I don't know. It's a pretty basic like respect thing there. Um, a lot yeah. of people from those places that do it, like in India and whatever, they don't like it. And they, they, you know, there's this whole thing about love marriage and stuff. But there are people who are perfectly happy with it too. So I think it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know, like people do things differently. Um, I, I think that people can kind of, does it make such a big difference whether you like met over like some app or at the grocery store at a bar or whatever, and then like fell in love with each other and then like did, did it that way versus like it was a arranged thing and you fell in love because you were spending time together and you kind of like learned how to, you know, be a couple together. I don't know. Is it that you know, people get married pretty young here too, and it works out fine. And we don't think of that as like some kind of like strange thing or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. People yeah. just being uh, overly touchy and a little bit chauvinist about that particular thing. The FGM and the I stoning, it, I kind of yeah. understand the problems that people have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the arranged marriage thing, it kind of makes me think of. Uh, it reminds me of when people are like, you should do what you love for your job and stuff like that kind of thing. Like yeah. that similar sort of thing where uh, most people throughout history have just been forced to do specific jobs more or less by their situation. And those jobs have been terrible. So like, you know what I mean? It's stuff like, or like, you know, like they're being hard jobs. They're not like, you know, doing PR for an NGO or something like that kind of thing. Right. That's like, it's uh it's you're doing something like working the fields according to strict rules that you sort of inherited or whatever and stuff like that. Yeah, so marriage is a lot like I feel that, like I <laughs> Yeah. But I just mean that like it probably wasn't even one of the for most people it was like one of the good things about their life even. Like it wasn't like it was it wasn't like uh I don't know. I think we kinda look back and sort of project back on a lot of that stuff too where we assume that, yeah, I don't know, like that we assume that it's like a negative thing for people that necessarily, I mean, didn't necessarily view it that way, as you said. Yeah, yeah I mean, so. one thing that I came across once was a interesting point, and uh, I forget exactly where it was, but it, it was just bringing up the idea that the way that, so it, it, in Islam, the, the preferred thing to do is to, to get people married young. Like, you know, just don't, don't waste any time. Like as soon as they're adults, marry them and, and have them kind of just be married from there on. And that kind of prevents, you know, that's a big problem today. Cause it's like, 
there we're living in a culture where people are supposed to date and all that kind of stuff, but the religion says you're not supposed to do that. So it's like, there's this big conflict there. So the way it's supposed to be done is that people are just like married from out the gate and that's taken care of. And so it brought up the point of like, you know, this protects people from like heartbreak and, and from like kind of wasting time and, and like, you know, all, all this sort of stuff. And I was just thinking about like, that's, true we kind of take it for granted that there's like this period of your life where you're dating and looking around and and it's like yeah you it's like a job interview kind of thing where like you you go to one you don't get it you go to one you don't get it it's the same thing right like it that's yeah and you you just log on to twitter any day and you see the kind of ravages that this has on people's psychology you just see like how many people are just completely driven crazy like just stuck in this kind of stuff so you know there's a in the same way that we only kind of see the negatives of the other side when we're looking at this i think we also only think of the positives if in terms of like the way we do things and we don't think about like well maybe there are certain negatives that are just like totally removed from the picture when we do things a different way sure um so the next question if the current chinese government isn't a communist government what would you guys say it is I call them communists. I call them Red China. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess my opinion on this, I've been thinking about this, and uh, um, my opinion on it now is basically in most situations, um, it's up to the other person to decide whether or not they think it's a good socialist government. Sure. And then and then, and then, then once I've heard their answer, um, if they think it is a good socialist government, I would say I'm not socialist then. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, okay. That's fine. If you think that's a good socialist government and it's all doing the kind of things that you would want a socialist country to do, then uh, socialism is not good. <laughs> right. And, and then if, uh, if it's not a socialist government and you think that there's, you know, you could ask more of them in different basic ways, then uh, maybe I'm a socialist then. So <laughs> that's my sort of uh, thing on that. I think that it's very bizarre the debate that's kind of gone on online recently and that kind of stuff where it seems so disconnected there's so many it's i would say there's like a huge well small but like cottage industry now of people that like blog about this kind of stuff in different ways and a lot of it is uh um it's very strange to me it's like people talking about uh you know like uh their opinions on these kind of things. I saw one country, I mean, I saw one blog that was about how, um, Vietnam's response to coronavirus is like proof that it's like a great socialist kind of country because, uh, there's no deaths so far from it. And, uh, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's the exact same as when people are like, well, deficits are smaller under Democrats than Republicans. So they're better (laughs) managers of money or something. It's like that level of like debate or like, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so nonsense to me that it's like, I don't know. It does make me frustrated though, because uh, it's like smart people that I know just saying things that are like completely wrong. So it's like, I don't know. I feel bad, but yeah. Right. And then, okay. So what does that say about South Korea? South Korea is definitely not socialist right yeah. so do what what does that say about their economic does that mean that their economic system is is also very good is it perhaps better than vietnam's if they handled it better than vietnam did i don't know let's like it's just a weird way to yeah. put things i guess 
I think you, people run into these problems where they start to think of socialism or communism equals good. And then it's yeah. instead of thinking about like the specific state, the specific policies, are these good or bad and allowing people to be wrong, even if they happen to kind of, you know, claim to adhere to a certain ideology that you like or whatever, like, you know, you kind of have to get away from that when you start to deal with the real world. Cause that's not really how the real world works. You don't like pick an ideology, yeah. roll your stats and then enter the world as like a D and D character. It's just not, yeah, not yeah, how it yeah. works. Sure. Um, the next question is, uh, did you guys know that, uh, Mad Money's Jim Cramer used to be a Spartacist slash Trotsky. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> that guy's funny. <laughs> yeah, he's a, uh, I don't know. I always feel like, uh, I don't know. It's weird that like people take advice from those types of people. Like, I don't know. Are there people, I, I guess there's got to be people at home that like watch those kind of TV shows and then act on the information by trading themselves and stuff and I wonder if any of them make any money at all. I don't know. Yeah, because it's I like mean, probably some people, but I imagine a lot of people are watching it to get a sense of what other people are thinking or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Sparts are like a particularly strange uh, version of this. I, I think it's funny. I, I always think this is funny too about uh, uh, Quebec. A lot of, I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but like, a number of people who were prominent in Quebec society recently um, had their roots in the Maoist movement. Um, so the leader of a major political party in Canada, the Bloc Québécois, uh, Gilles Duceppe, he was a Maoist organizer in a union um, for a few years, or like a, for a while, I guess, I'm not sure how long, but like in, in the 70s or 80s. Um, and you know, then end up leaving that and ended up, uh, um, you know, becoming a major political figure in Canada for, you know, two decades, three decades, something like that. So, uh, and then another one is Pierre Carl, uh, Pelado, who, uh, um, he became leader. He, he ended up inheriting, I think, and, and making a bunch of money in things like, uh, the media and stuff like that and he uh he ended up becoming leader of a provincial political party that like is like a governing party party quebecois sometimes uh and he was a maoist as a youth too and i don't know it's just it's funny to like see these people that uh had all these uh you know i, I feel like that would be a cancel worthy thing in the united states to do that you know oh yeah i don't know most of them <laughs> like uh, I don't know. It would be hard. And these are like people on the broadly progressive side of politics too. Like it's not like it's not like something where it's like Reagan or something where he's like I used to be a democrat and now I'm a you know, it's like it's like the opposite valence kind of thing. It's like a person that you know, it's not there's not like the right-wing redemption arc story to it. It's just like, oh yeah, I became a normal person. I don't know. It's like, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. Yeah. Um there was also a, a banker, um, uh, I can't remember his last name, but the, his nickname at the bank was uh, Red Ed, <laughs> and it was because when he was younger, he wrote uh, he wrote about like the socialist economics of Tanzania and stuff like that. Like it just, uh, and he became a one of the Canada's leading bankers and ended up like uh, advising the government in Ontario on a bunch of different major structural reforms. 
And uh, I don't know. That's kind of a funny thing to me too. That he, uh, you know, I don't know. I like that. I like that. Uh, it's it's funny to me that like people. It, it reminds me almost of like the Soviet Union or something turning into Russia or something, where mm. all these people uh, used to be in communist parties and then got like real jobs under neoliberalism or something. So yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So, did you want to do more questions, or you want to leave it there? Um, we could maybe finish with one quick, fun one, if you have one like that. Okay, I'll ask this quick one. Uh, is anime sinful or otherwise degenerate? If so, I would enjoy listening to an entire episode denouncing its evil influence. <laughs> <laughs> if not, could you please do an episode talking about which animes you enjoy? Um. Okay, so I... I don't have I, if it if in, in a vacuum I would have zero opinion about anime. I, in fact, like my first encounter with anime was when I was living in Asia growing up and it was just to me it was like that was Asian cart that was just how they draw, you know, that's just the the, yeah. the Asian drawing style, you know? So now it's become like this subculture and people have like this intense hatred or this intense passion about it or whatever. And I find that extremely annoying and I would like to have no part of that. And <laughs> I, I've seen a few of them. I watched an episode of Evangelion the other day uh, for the first time. And I just don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't really like it's, it seems really silly and, uh, yeah, I just don't care for it very much. I I saw um some of the like the artier ones that people always recommend like um I think it's called like Ghost of the Butterflies or something Ghost of the Fireflies oh, yeah, something yeah, like that about the yeah, World yeah, War 2. Yeah. That was kind of interesting just to see that as like okay, this is almost in like a okay, th w this is how the Japanese are thinking about the bombings in uh Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all that. I don't know. On, yeah. on that level it was kind of that that was interesting to watch um have you seen Akira? Yeah, that also, like, that was just, I don't know why people think that's so great. You know, I, I don't get it. Ghost in the Shell. I haven't seen that one. Cowboy Bebop? Nope. Yeah, so you're you're a little secret anime fan, aren't you? I used to be. I used to be, but the, honestly, it was 20 years ago. Okay. Like, it was, it was like, it was like, uh, um, in like late high school or something, uh, I had a friend, uh, Adrian, who uh, was really into this kind of stuff early on. And uh, it was like, uh, so he had, what are the ones that, not VCR, what's the VHS? It's like the other one, Beta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had, he had uh, Robotech on Beta tapes. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, stuff, stuff. so we were watching stuff like that. And he had, you know, was, he got all the stuff. I don't know. So I watched a bit of that. And I really, I enjoyed it at the time. I really liked, uh, there's like a, movie series called Pat Labor, which uh um it's like a mech series kind of thing. I like those ones kind of things. I think they're fun. Um and uh but I don't know the the stuff that's like everything that's come out like since then or like that I've seen I'm sure it was like you know the stuff that I just didn't know about whatever. It's like about like kids at school and stuff and I just don't have no you know yeah. like that just seems it seems like a I would even say that like a lot of that stuff to me, I can understand. Okay. I can understand if like girls watch that or whatever. I'm, I have no, 
that's their right, whatever. But like, <laughs> but like it's befitting uh, of their <laughs> capacities. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if it ends up being something like, uh, if some like if I if I were watching stuff like that, then I think the police should arrest me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's not. Uh, there's something wrong there. So yeah, and all the like art now is like this weird, strange like. Uh, it, it looks like. It looks like almost like half sketched kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's like this weird like uh, outline to it or whatever, where it looks like, like the the it, lo- it looks less like a cartoon and more like uh, halfway between a cartoon and a painting or something. Mm. And that looks really strange to me. I don't know. Like I find that with video games now. I look at like the PlayStation Store, and there's like a bunch of games that are just like have this very very strange animation on it. And I'm like, where did that come from? I don't know. So I guess it's Japan. They just most of the games are like that now in Japan. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just like any other, like there's lots of different parts of pop culture and stuff that I just don't really register with me as anything interesting. I don't, I don't hate it. It's not like I have a strong reaction against it. It's just a nothing. And you know, like, like metal is something like, I don't really get the appeal. It all kind of sounds the same to me. Uh, I'm just not interested. I don't hate metal. I just don't care about it. And if it was something that people were kind of talking about more than like, no one talks about metal, you know what I mean? But people talk about anime that, you you know, people post that stuff on Twitter or whatever. And like, if you ever mention it, it becomes like this big back and forth. Like people just split like the red sea and pick a camp. It's just like (laughs) that. That's what's annoying about it. It's not the anime stuff itself. It's that is just something and one and yet another thing that people do that I don't really understand or care about. Yeah. Uh, okay. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I think that wraps it up for this uh, Q and A episode. Um, we got through a few of them, uh, although we did have that long jag on the poetry one, which I think worked out okay. And then, uh, um, yeah. So if you enjoyed this. Uh, you can always sign up for our Patreon for the bonus episode every week. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Yep, see you guys. Bye.